morning, church. It's good to be back behind this juniper piece of wood here, which I find interesting. The topic today is about his creation somewhat. And uh, if you look at this, I don't know if you guys have ever got an echo, but maybe I haven't heard it in a while, so this is, sounds different. But if you look at this wood, have you guys ever really came up here and walked up to this piece of wood and just looked at it? It looks like candle wax dripping, right? Well, Dennis, Dennis built this, um, and Kyle Freud built this. This is Kyle's handiwork. Am I correct in saying that, Dennis? This is Dennis's handiwork. And then if we step back from a 3,000-foot view, this is God's handiwork. Because we just basically took, when I say we, because we're a body, right? <laughs> Kyle and Dennis basically took what God has created, this iron ore and whatever aluminum is all part of the earth's, one of the periodic table, and then we take the wood that God has uh, created, spoken into existence, and fashioned it to give us a cool stand versus the $89 one you're going to find at Target. So much rather preach from one of these, Justin, when you agree, than uh, the $89 Target one. So uh, we've been gone for quite a few weeks, five weeks, uh, and it's good to be back here, and I miss the, the family quite a bit. Um, when we were on our trip, I took advantage of that downtime, uh, driving 6,000 miles behind a steering wheel. I probably did about 1,500 of those miles. We broke it up, I would say, pretty evenly with Titus driving and my wife and mom and dad driving as well. And so I enjoyed the time to just kind of reflect on God and uh, listen to the messages uh, while we were away um, on the website. And I found myself really enjoying uh, driving east. Um, I, I'd never been in certain parts of the country, you know. Um, I had flown into Chicago O'Hare about 25 years ago, um, but I had never really spent any time in Illinois, and, and we went to Cedar Point, and, um, you know, we went to Bahaba. You can't say Bar Harbor, Maine. You have to say Bahaba, Maine, uh, if you're going to not get looked as a, a definitely a tourist in New York and Pennsylvania, um, Ohio, Tennessee. I mean, we just basically made our way across Vermont, New Hampshire, and I was just mesmerized at the beauty, uh, Niagara Falls, I mean the beauty of the different parts of the country. Every part of the country, they say, oh man, driving through Kansas or driving through Nebraska, and it was just the opposite in my mind. As we're driving through Nebraska, I just was mesmerized at God's handiwork, at, at the, the, the Platte River and how it flowed and the, the amount of wildlife that was on the river uh, and then you start getting into the hills and the, the foothills. And even back in Vermont, when you look at the foothills of the Adirondacks, you start seeing, you know, God's handiwork. And it was just an awesome time. And that what was, was my favorite part was just the creativity of the Creator. And you can see it. I mean, when we went to Niagara Falls, we must have seen 10 different cultures there. We saw from as far east as, you know, I don't know the right term to use, so I'll just say, you know, is it Asia, or what's the PC way to say it? Are you going to help me out with this, um, Stephanie? The PC way to say, is it Asian? I don't know. China? Japan? I mean, you see these 10 different cultures, and it was just awesome to, to see every single one of them, and, uh, and if you even have, look around this room, you see different 
different types of people. And being on the train in, in, uh, from New Jersey to New York, you get on the subway and you sit down and you look at, you know, Brendan and I and we're, you know, white people and you see black people and you see brown people and you're just like, this is pretty cool. All these different types of people. And if you look around this room, you can see, you know, Jared is fairly tall. He's got long arms. Um, and Donaldo's, and, and I was looking this morning, Donaldo and Brian Bray and, and uh, Chris, you guys have great heads of hair. Um, you got, I've got these thumbs. They look more like toes. <laughs> they don't look like real thumbs. They're fairly short. Uh, and, um, and then you see Ryan and Dennis and Kyle, and they just have a man beard. Every one of us are so different. And yet, we're all the same. We've got two ears and two eyes and a nose and a tailbone and a spine and fingers and toes, all that good stuff. And when I look at this, I have to contemplate a couple of questions as, you know, who, who we are and why are we here? And um, there's a simple fact about the likeness of of the human race when I look at the different cultures from all over the world and you look at people that in the Middle East and people in Hawaii and you look at people in New Zealand and Antarctica and Colorado no matter where you go in the entire world there's one common fact and it's a fact that I think is heavy it's a fact that I think every one of you need to think about today in depth and it's a simple fact that um, man and woman, male and female, are created in the image of the Almighty God. Every single one of you in this room are created in the image of the Almighty God. He formed us, He knitted us, He loved us, He sacrificed for us, He created us. He saved us, He prepared us, He has made us His ambassadors. And I think sometimes we doubt the power that we have as human beings because we oftentimes throughout our week are kind of sucked into the realm of the unredeemed and we're in the world of the unbeliever and we start doubting who we are and who we were created to be and the power we have and the Bible says that the spirit was given to us was not a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And we doubt that because we're caught up in these other realms of the, the, the world. It talks about it in Ephesians, you know, the battle that we're in. And we oftentimes forget that who we are created in the image of. The teenagers in here, the young kids in here, the older, all, every single one of us. And we doubt that oftentimes. And there's been a verse that's been in my mind for years when I study with people. And it's called the Roman road. When, when somebody says, hey, I want to know about God. I want to know. And I had somebody, I went on a, I went on a awesome, I did the Palisade Plunge a couple days ago. And uh, that's a pretty epic trail. It's, there's, some, there's some dangerous sections to it. Uh, there's a lot of penalty for failure on two particular sections. The penalty would be death. Uh, and so there, there are a couple of areas that I would caution if you ever think about writing it that don't be afraid to walk occasionally. But 
um, I was talking to this, this young man that I was writing with, and, and he was asking these questions about what does it mean, and what does it take, and what is, what is the purpose of Christianity, things like that. It was, it was really awesome, you know, three hours on a bike with, with stop in between. And there's a verse that I go to, and when we, when we take the time, when we have the opportunity to study with people, and it's in Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, it's one verse, let me read it, Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Okay? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. And I've looked at that verse 200 times in my life. And I've read it, and I've read it with people, and I've studied it. And last week I thought of the scripture when Justin was preaching, and he was out on a scouting trip, and he says he came across this field, and there's all these wild strawberries, and he's just picking these strawberries and eating these strawberries. And I'm like, there's proof right there that God exists. It's living proof. You cannot deny that there's a creator when you go at 10,000 feet or 11,000 feet or however high you were and you saw this field of red and you start picking these strawberries and it's giving you nutrients. And it's God saying, I will provide. You're up in the middle of nowhere. I will provide you some food because you're going to need some energy to continue on with your hike. And the animals are going to need that energy to give them nutrients. And when I was listening to that sermon, I, I realized that I've always taken this verse kind of surface level. I've said, I mean, you've heard me preach on it. And preachers have preached on this for eons. And they say, yeah, you can look at the, the universe and the stars and the sun and the moon and the elk and the deer and the rivers and the birds flying. And I've said, I've said before, I believe that's why birds fly is because we look up. And we're forced to look up because we see birds don't walk. The chickens that walk become tacos. The eagles, they fly in the air. They're up there and you're looking up and you're seeing, you're seeing what God has made as you're looking up. And I go, I've looked at this verse and I've, I think I've kind of not done it justice. And so after, after I was thinking about that message that Justin preached in the strawberries, I had the opportunity last week to go up on Glade Park and I met with some uh, biologists from the Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And I met with some, uh, another biologist. They were all together. And uh, they were from the Mesa Land Trust. And we're walking around. And, and they're starting to point out to me the different, you know, you've got the birds of the air. And then you start looking at the different grasses and the different noxious weeds. And you look at the growth along the ground. And you start realizing these five or six or seven different plants and different weeds that are within a 10 square foot or 15 square foot grid are getting the same amount of moisture and yet they're different. You've got the Indian paintbrush. You've got the cheatgrass that's growing along. You've got the, the Indian rice grass, which is fascinating when you think, I mean, I, I started to take some of the seeds from the Indian rice grass and I was chewing on them and they said, yeah, the, the Native Americans when they were here they used to harvest this and they would grind them up and they would make small patties. And it took me a few minutes to just get about five of them in my hand and start nibbling on them. And I'm like, man, I would, I'd go hungry. 
There's not a lot here. I mean, it takes a long time. Of course, they didn't have the same interruptions that we have. They were more blessed in that aspect is that they could sit there, and that's what they did. They didn't have Facebook and TV and computers, and they didn't have somebody calling them. They were sitting on a rock, and they were harvesting this Indian rice grass. And there was another rye grass that they said, yeah, when these seeds drop, or when you plant these seeds, which is good for the ecosystem, which helps, it grows up and it feeds the different critters, and, and this whole ecosystem is good, and it's ground cover, so it keeps from, from flooding and things like that, is that it, you plant it, and it sometimes takes three to five years before you see the fruit of it. And so the seeds will drop, and there's an outer shell on these seeds, and they'll germinate, and then they'll die, and they'll germinate and die, and germinate and die. And as this is happening over the course of winters, the outer coating continues to break down, and about the fifth year, the seeds produce fruit. And I thought, well, that'll preach. How many of us have given up on people because we're like, well, they're not coming to church. They're not listening to the gospel. Well, maybe they're in their third winter and you need a couple more winters. Be patient. And so when I look at this scripture, when it says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. We can look at the creation and start seeing and recognizing a little more about God. We can start understanding that we need to plant and water, plant and water, and God gives the increase. That's one aspect of what we, what we looked at or what I looked at, and we see His qualities, they're evident. And one thing that's evident, forget the Indian rice grass, forget the, the wheat rye or the rye grass, go look in a mirror. Go look in a mirror if you want to see that God's creation is evident by what He has made. Because at the beginning of the Bible, he says he made us in his image. Let us create man in our image, in our likeness. Male and female, he created them. And so you have this awesome God who creates us in his image. And I think if we were to slow down just a little bit, occasionally in life, and we were to, we were to become an expert on the gestation period of a child, if we were to become an expert on the life of a hummingbird or a monarch butterfly. And we knew every jot and tittle, every fact about a butterfly, or every fact about what happens at the point of conception when the flash happens, and then the growth happens, and then everything goes through birthing process, and all of the intricate details of God's creation. If we were to really study that and become an expert on one thing every week or every month or every year, you would walk away with a reverence for God and a humility that you've never experienced. And I don't know if it's because I was gone for five weeks or I had a sabbatical or what, but I was walking around that field and as I was driving across the country and I was seeing that, hey, there's no canals here. There's no canals on the eastern side of the United States. It's all God bringing rain and bringing crops to these people. It would give us a reverence if you understood the patterns of the oceans or the weather patterns of the sky. And I believe that's what's missing in lost people. I believe they don't understand who it is that created what we see every day. And if you look at the end of that verse in verse 20, it says, so that men are without excuse. 
We have no excuse as we dissect the intricate details of life you see his invisible qualities, his power, his nature. As we study ecology or botany or zoology or astronomy, we can't walk away without this knowledge and this recognition that God exists. Is that making sense? Is it making, I'm not just saying that as a filler statement. Is that making sense? That you can't look around and study any subject in science and not recognize that God exists. So I look at this passage that Paul writes to the church at Rome and I say, well, how do these people that he is referring to mess up? Because if you go back a couple of verses to 18, it says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since they may since what may be known about God is plain, because God has made it plain. So in Romans 1, he's saying God's, the wrath of God is being revealed against them because they're not recognizing what God has made plain. His creation is proof that he exists so that man has no excuse. But there's something that's said in here that I think that's important. God, how do these people... God is referring to mess up. What did they or didn't they do that caused God to give them over to their destructive ways? Because it says in verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. But it says here in verse 21, this is the key part that I'm asking. How did these people God is referring to mess up? What is Paul saying they did wrong? And there's two things that he, he specifies in here. For although they knew God, they knew the existence of God, and it even says that in the book of James, that even the demons believe that God exists, right? Even the demons believe. So although they knew God, they knew the existence of God, two things. They neither glorified Him as God, we're going to look at that in a minute, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. So two things that these people, that God said he gave over to a reprobate mind, a depraved mind, he gave them over to that because of two reasons. One, they did not glorify him. And two, they didn't give thanks. They didn't glorify him, and they didn't give thanks. You know, I sometimes wonder when I'm reading Bible and I'm studying, if I would have been any different than the people that Paul was writing to or writing about, would I have fit in in the Ephesian church? Would I have fit in in the Galatian church? Would I have fit in in the Thessalonican church, the Philippian church? Would I have been part of the Roman church? Would I have been part of the group that just denied God? Would I have been part of the group that gave God glory? And I say that to say, yes, this was written, you know, 1950 years ago or whenever, 1960 years ago, but it's applicable to humans today. We can look at this and we can say, are we giving God glory? Are we giving God thanks? And this word glorify that's used here, it's a very simple word. It's not something you need to be a Greek scholar to study in the depths of it and the, the, you know, the different parts of speech. But the word glorify means to honor, 
to praise and to worship. That's what the word glorify means, to honor, to praise, and to worship. So the question is begged, how do we glorify God? If one of the reasons for their being of depraved mind and God giving it over to them and the, the wrath of God being revealed to them was because they did not honor, they did not praise, and they did not worship God. The question is, how do we do that? How do we honor? How do we praise? How do we worship God so we do not become like the Roman church? How do the human beings of today that are walking and are in this room, how do we honor God? How do we worship God? How do we praise God? And the answer is fairly simple. It's in everything we do. In everything we do. Now, I want to clarify that um, for those of you who don't know me well, I'm not perfect. Okay, Brooke's laughing or smiling or whatever. She's, she knows me well. I'm not perfect, and neither are you. There's another tidbit of information. Okay, we make mistakes. We don't always live a life worthy of the calling God has given to us. But scripturally, the Bible calls our life to be a worshipful, praising, honoring life, glorifying the creator of the universe. That's what God calls us to. Our lives are a testament to his worth in our hearts. Now, if you, if you look at Matthew chapter 5, my wife and I were talking about this a couple nights ago, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Starting in verse 13, Jesus is just at the beginning, the Beatitudes we call it, um, but he's, his disciples came to him and he, and he went up to this mountainside and he sits down and he says, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. He gives the, the people that are going to be happy are poor in spirit, they're those who mourn, they're, they're hungry and thirst for righteousness. And then he says, blessed are you and people persecute you. But then in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And the question again is, how do we glorify God? And he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And if you continue on and you read the Sermon on the Mount, you see these stories and these, these illustrations and God saying, you have heard that it was said this, but I tell you this. You have heard this, but I tell you this. Do not murder. I say if you even say to your brother Raka, which is a negative term towards your brother, you're guilty of killing your brother. You're guilty of murder. And so God's, Jesus is raising the bar in a sense, going from the physical to the spiritual, after he says that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So after he tells these people that are listening to him, your life is going to glorify God, that same word is glorify, is praise. That your life is going to glorify God. Your actions, your deeds, your being the light on a hill, the salt of the earth, is going to glorify 
God. And then he goes on to talk about all of the different ways to do that. So when we are patient, when impatience is probably the most natural response, what does that do? That wasn't rhetorical. What does that do? Pardon? What? No. When we are patient with your brother, when impatience is definitely the natural response, what does that do? Glorify God. When you are patient, when impatience is your natural response, it glorifies God. That is your light. That is your salt. That is your deeds that is giving praise and honor and glory to God. When my wife wants to be impatient with me, and it's owed to me, and she's patient, she's doing it to glorify and honor God Almighty. That's what this is teaching here. When we want to get our pound of flesh and retaliate and get even, and instead we pray for those that persecute us, we bless those that persecute us, what does that do? It's an easy one. Take it. Glorifies God. <laughs> it glorifies God. When we do what's counterintuitive to our flesh and we honor God with our actions, we are glorifying Him. And that's one of the things in Rome that they were not doing. They were not honoring Him. They were not praising Him. They were not glorifying Him. They were satisfying the desires of their flesh. And that's why Paul writes to them and says, man, the wrath of God is being revealed because you're not glorifying the Creator. He has made it clear by what He has made. And you're not doing it. So you're going to have a depraved mind and you're going to hand it over to wickedness. The second part of that passage we can go on example after example, but I don't think we need to because I think you can decide from Scripture what we should do that's going to satisfy our spirit versus our flesh, which gives God glory. So we're not giving God glory. And the second part of that is that we're not giving Him thanks. And that word, thanks, means to be grateful, to express gratitude, to say grace, and give thanks. Two simple things when you look at this Romans 1.20. They did not glorify Him and they didn't give Him thanks. If you consider yourself a Christian sitting here, I want you to answer this question in your head. What do you have that belongs to you? What do you have that belongs to you? Anything? House? Car? Truck? Money? Stocks? Clothes? Your child? You? What do you possess? What do you have that is yours? There is nothing 
If you are a Christian, that belongs to you. If you look in Scripture, it says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. 1 Corinthians 10.26 And earlier on, it says, if you are a Christian, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. So everything in the earth is the Lord's and you are not your own. You were bought at a price. And I think the problem that people Paul's referring here in Rome is that they knew, existed, they knew God existed. They recognized God existed. But they did not give Him the glory that He deserves. And they did not thank God for the provision that He gave them. But rather, instead, if you follow on, they made these, they made these images of the created things. God created these, everything, and they made images and worshipped the images instead of the Creator. Which doesn't make sense, but I, I'd imagine maybe many of us are guilty of that in some aspect. So, one of the things that I've found interesting as we're, um, we're driving across country is uh, the river system. Uh, we, we crossed over, you know, the, the, the mountaintop, and we started to lose elevation, and then we made it in the flat ground, and I told you the Platte River, and then we continued on, and, you know, you go through Illinois and Ohio and all these different states, and you start, you don't see these white, white pipes anymore. You know, you don't see irrigation ditches. You don't see irrigation pipes. And being in western Colorado and being in uh, building and real estate and development, water has become something that I've been learning about and studying because uh, I find it interesting. And so I downloaded this book on the way, and it's called Cadillac Desert. Um, highly recommend it. Justin, have you read it yet? No? I figured, you, I figured of all the people you would have been one at least to read it, but you've heard of it. Uh, Cadillac Desert. And this, this book is about really the waters and, and primarily the Nile of the West, which is our Colorado River. That's what, that's what the book is about. And it talks about all the way back in the 1800s and how there was water grabs and people were uh, you know, stealing shares or, or getting shares of water. And it talks about how the Colorado River is one of the most um, over-adjudicated uh, river in the world. Meaning, it's uh, water, you get so many cubic feet per second, and uh, let's say there's 10 million cubic feet per second a year, and they've allotted 15 million cubic feet per second to everyone in the Upper Valley Basin and the Lower Valley Basin, the different states and as far as Mexico. But this river, this Colorado River, if you study it and if you look at it, I mean, it is, it is something that feeds the, the farmers in Imperial Valley, it feed, which is where we get a lot of our produce. It feeds the ranches. It feeds the farmers throughout not just Imperial Valley, but even in, in, in western Colorado and Utah. Um, it, for recreation purposes, it feeds Lake Havasu, uh, and it feeds Lake Mead, and it, it provides electricity to uh, Las Vegas, and it provides water to the golf courses. It's this crazy, awesome river that flows... And it just goes down, and it's something that it, if we study it um, and, we, and we realize what's happening with our moisture, there's going to be some issues in the next three to five years federally, I think, with the allocation of water. But have you ever asked the question or spent time to think where that water comes from? I mean, the Colorado River, years ago, Brian Bray calls me up. He's like, hey, I got you a sandwich. Meet me down behind the Pepsi plant. 
it's noon, we're going to have lunch and sit on a tailgate and talk. And so we go over there, and the river was at its highest peak that I think he maybe had ever seen, and it was when sidewalks were getting washed out. Do you remember that, Brian? I mean, the river, if the bank is here, the river is there. I mean, it is like flowing, and trees are flowing down. It was awesome. But there was so much snow melt that was coming down the river, and I never even thought about where the Colorado River originates. Do you, anybody know where the Colorado River originates? What's that? Grand Lake, yeah. So right above Grand Lake, there's this Pooter. I think it's P-O-U-D-R-E, uh, Pooter Pass. It's in the Rocky Mountain National Park. And it goes, uh, it goes into the uh, Grand Lake, and then it flows into Lake Granby. And it's at Granby where it gets diverted uh, to uh, the eastern slope, and then it gets diverted to the western slope. So way up in northern Colorado, you've got where the Colorado River starts. This great, awesome Colorado River, which is isn't really a river. If you've ever seen the Mississippi or the Tennessee, you kind of chuckle that they call us a river. But they also call Little Dolores River, and you could jump across it if you're over five foot tall. So they call that a river. It's more like a creek if you're from here. So you've got this awesome Colorado River that flows through all these tributaries coming into it and all this water being pulled from it. And it, 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 it starts, like where do the, the waters come from? Where do we say? I forgot. Grand Lake. Grand Lake. So the waters from the Colorado River come from the Grand Lake. There's a little contradiction here. The beasts of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The waters of the Colorado River come from God. We see it originate in a little stream above Pooter Pass, but the waters come from God. It's amazing to me how human beings can be so fond of themselves. so proud of our accomplishments, feel so powerful when we build something, we accumulate things. And day by day, we walk by one of the greatest river systems in the entire world. Because you had a raspberry this morning or a peach later today or an apple, is because God allowed it. Do you realize that? You young people that are in your age of your brain doesn't fully work yet, you're 20% short of using what's available to you as an adult. It's okay, we were all there too as younger people. Hopefully we gain some more information and knowledge. But do you realize your breath comes from God. Your breath. The very fact that you can wake up, put your feet on the ground and stand up is because God allowed it. He allowed it. He allows us to be able to see, to smell, to breathe, to walk. This isn't something to make you feel bad. This is to give you an understanding, hopefully, and a reverence for who it is that we serve 
if we call ourselves Christians. If we call ourselves people that love God and want to be one of His ambassadors. is to recognize who it is that we're serving. We owe nothing. Nothing belongs to us. Our children, our life, our possessions. It's God's. And many of us have known people that got that phone call. Hey, uh, this is so-and-so, Dr. So-and-so, and I just want to let you know, hate to make this call, but um, news isn't good. It's a sobering truth. But it's truth. The idea that one day all of our names will be on an obituary can be frightening for some. There's one of a staple of our community, Doug Sorter, passed away unexpectedly a few days ago. 68 years old, right? 63? 67? 67 years old? 67 years old, unexpectedly. Very uh, servant-minded man in our community. Helped out with Strive. My understanding he was going to maybe take over Homeward Bound as well. Um, I don't know if that's fact, but Brian's shaking his head yes. Got hit on a bicycle. Took him to the hospital, ICU. Gave opportunities for, for his friends and family to say goodbye, and he's gone. It's a sobering truth. However, the thought of our passing can be different than fear if we look at it two ways. If we look at our life two ways. One, glorify God with your life. Glorify God with your life. Your life, live your life in a way where the mindset is, what can I do? How can I do it? How can I respond? How can I repent? How can I change my life so that God is glorified? Every one of us need to do business with that. Hands down, everyone in this room. What can I personally, what can Nate Porter do where other people can look and say, yeah, he glorifies God. I'm going to give God glory. Are there parts of my life I need to change so they say, yeah, God's getting the glory? Of course. If you say you don't have any, then you really need to repent. Because nobody's perfect. And everybody needs to continue to seek after the Father. To give Him glory. That's one. And to give thanks. Recognize when you drive over that river, every time you go by that Colorado River, give thanks to God. Thank you for the waters. Thank you for the waters that bring food. That is my, um, what do you call it, the uh, anecdote for fear of death. Glorify God and give Him thanks. Because everything else kind of stems from those two things. Now, I want to finish off with this verse in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. 
Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. It's a beautiful passage. I recommend, if you get about three minutes later on, Read it by yourself and really take stock. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 25. So God bless you guys. I pray this week that you focus on glorifying Him and equally as important, giving Him thanks for everything we have, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, whether it's your food, whether it's the pickup truck you drive to work. Whatever it is, thank God for it. Yes. Prayer requests from Brother Ryan here. Okay. What's his name? Clay? Okay. All right. Does he know the Lord? Need some fine tuning? Okay. Okay, good. All right. Um, any other prayer requests? No, Jared's going to give us a communion uh, homily after that. Amelia is going to stand up and uh, after communion. If you want to stick around, if you're interested in what's happening with the, uh, the school uh, situation here at the church body, I think it'd be good to stick around and ask questions and uh, we can process that a little more. Uh, let's pray and then uh, Jared will prepare our hearts. So. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Things in our lives, Father, that we have to be grateful for are innumerable, and we have you to thank for it. Father, you are the creator, the savior, the doctor. Father, we have a prayer request for Clay, Ryan and Rachel's uncle, that um, you know his sickness is stage four colon cancer you know the issue you know the cure you know the result father you know everything father we know that this life is temporary and that eternity awaits and i pray we pray as a church family that clay is given the opportunity to understand you to know you to come to repentance where needed 
be buried with Jesus through the waters of baptism as he gives his life to you if that is something that needs to be done. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name because we know that you want all men everywhere to come to repentance. That is your word. That is what you tell us. And Father, if Clay needs to come to repentance, Father, we pray that he does and that uh, you give Ryan and Kurt the courage to, to visit with him and to trust that the seeds planted and the water poured upon will create an increase. Father, be with him health-wise, and we pray that your will is done. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.